Welcome to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I am Colin Slade. And I'm Reeve Gann, and we're your hosts for Commission Ed. We're excited to have another episode here today about various different topics that are important to us. This one being a continuation of our discussion about various tips and tricks for those that are interested in becoming officers in the Air Force. Our last episode, Reed gave us a great explanation of things that he feels are important for success for candidates as they go through officer training school. And today we'll continue in that same vein as I share uh, some insights and tips and tricks for Air Force ROTC. You know, Colin, something I love about OTS versus ROTC is it's a package deal. You know what you're going to get for this eight-week time frame. You show up, eight weeks later, you commission. It's all in one discrete package. And ROTC seems to be a little bit more unwieldy. There's a whole lot more going on there. And I'll admit, I don't understand all of it. Yes, certainly Air Force ROTC is like trying to solve multivariable calculus. Which I've not done either. So I hopefully you can help us get there. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts and pieces. And the most important thing is that it doesn't take eight weeks. It takes, in some cases, up to five years to, to get through it all. And there's a lot of opportunity for churn, a lot of opportunity for mistakes, a lot of opportunity for burnout to occur during that time. So good. Let's discuss some, some things that are important for Air Force RTC. Great. Looking forward to it. So I came up with a list of things that I felt were important to cover. Some things that have been frequent discussions that I've had with potential cadets and their parents as they've come in and asked questions about, about the program discussions I've had with cadets that are in the program, my fellow instructors, my commander. These are some things that I feel are useful. Some of it will be more on the theoretical level. Some of it will be quite applicable, you know, on the very practical level, uh, things that can be applied in your day-to-day life things that I feel are important across your experience as a a cadet going through Air Force ROTC. First one is that I feel it is incredibly important that you get your priorities straight. Now, across the time that you are in Air Force ROTC, there are a lot of things that are competing for your time, your attention, your energy, your effort. And so you have to get good at prioritizing each of those different things. The number one thing, the, the thing that must be your number one priority is your academics. So you are in Air Force ROTC because you are in college. You can't be in ROTC if you are not in college, right? And so if you are in college, that means that you are a student, you are a full-time student, you are pursuing a degree, a bachelor's degree, or a graduate degree uh, at a university where you are most likely paying a lot of money and it is necessary for you to get the most bang for your buck, get all the knowledge and skills, learn how to learn while you are in that process. But in addition to that, unfortunately, the Air Force is one of the few institutions on planet Earth that cares about your GPA, one of the few employers that cares about your GPA. And the Air Force cares quite a bit about uh, your GPA. So in what way do they care about GPA and how does that impact me if I'm a first year ROTC student? Yeah, well, first of all, in order to be a cadet at all, you have to have at least a 2.0 GPA. So, I mean, that's pretty standard across uh, universities that if your GPA is below a 2.0, you're going to be on some sort of academic probation or some sort of substandard status. 
you know, some sort of academic hold or something like that. Sure. So, that makes sense. So that is in line with most universities, but in addition to that, in addition to that, Air Force ROTC is going to look at your, your GPA for as one of the primary criteria for every selection board that you pass through while you are in the program. So this is your selection for a scholarship. Typically your GPA needs to be above a 3.0. They're going to look at your GPA for selection to go to field training and move into the upper class of cadets or the professional officer course or POC. They're going to look at your GPA for the rated selection board. So if you want to be a pilot or a combat systems officer, air battle manager, or remotely piloted aircraft operator, your GPA weighs very heavily into those things. Plus, at the very end of it all, when you're, when you're putting in your preferences for your job, for your location, that one of the easiest ways for AFPC, the Air Force Personnel Center, to see who the best performers are is sort everybody by GPA. So uh, that GPA is going to have an impact on you throughout your Air Force ROTC career, and then that will carry over into the Air Force itself. Interesting. Plus another thing on that is the Air Force tends to be more of the intellectual service of the different branches in the DOD. The Air Force tends to favor intellectual skills more than some of the others, the soft skills or the physical skills. And so that is a good, maybe not good, but that is a proxy for determining whether someone is going to meet the mold or uphold the values for the Air Force. So in that vein, if you understand that academics must come first and that your GPA matters a lot, it is important that you do really well in your classes. You have to prioritize your classes over everything else. And if you don't, if you don't do well in your classes, it may end up being that you don't graduate. And if you don't graduate, you don't commission. And so why are we here at all? Right. Or are you doing it at all? So how do we prioritize academics? Well, number one, pick a major that you're actually going to enjoy that you will complete and that you can do well in. I get a lot of potential cadets and their, their parents that will come into my office and ask, well, what do you recommend for a major? And I tell them the same thing every single time. Something that you enjoy, that you will complete so that you can graduate and commission and that you will do well in so that your GPA will, will be high. Don't pick something that you think others will want even if it means that you might not get a scholarship, even if it means that you might not get the job that your parents think is cool or something like that. It doesn't do you or the Air Force any good for you to pick something that you're not good at or that you don't enjoy. Because if you don't enjoy it, you won't do well in it. And if you're not good at it, then you're not going to be able to help the Air Force do what it needs to do. I think that's sound advice for anyone trying to get through university, do something that you're talented at or have a passion for. I mean, that, that isn't to say that you shouldn't, that you should go and find the easiest thing that you could possibly do. We want you to challenge yourself, but again, if you are terrible at math, if you can't wrap your head around the concepts of calculus, that's fine. Go find something else. The air force needs people with soft skills that are literate, that can think critically through other types of problems. In fact, I think the Air Force would really benefit from having more of those types of people with like a liberal arts type degree. And I'm saying that having an engineering degree. Yeah. Not like I said, I think that's sound advice, you know, no matter what your intended objective is when it comes to selecting a university major. I went through something similar as an engineering major at first quickly discovered that that was not my skill set. I did not take the easy route. Molecular biology for some sounds 
just as bad as multivariable calculus, but that's what I was good at. And that's what I enjoyed. And so that's the route I went. And how's that degree working out for you, Reed? <laughs> you know, I don't use the specific knowledge attained in the study of that degree. I absolutely regularly use a logical thought process, a problem solving process using significant number of inputs. I identify patterns where they may not be available to the, you know, to the passive observer. So I find the problem solving skills I developed in that degree have paid off big time actually. Yeah. And ultimately that really is the whole point of having our officers have a bachelor's degree to begin with is that they have gained the skill of learning how to learn, how to think through problems, how to articulate solutions, how to do research, to gather facts and data and process through it. We need those types of skills, whether it's in engineering or in biology or in English or in foreign languages or in exercise science, we need all of it. Yeah, totally concur. All right. So that is priority number one. Your academics must come first. Priority number two is that your Air Force ROTC mandatory practical military training or PMT must come second. Academics must come first, but PMT, your training as a future officer in the Air Force must come second. Now, you can't get a degree in Air Force ROTC. Like you're not going to get a bachelor's of science in aerospace studies that, that doesn't exist. And so you cannot neglect your academics, but you need to learn how to manage your time well enough that will allow you to participate fully in your mandatory PMT. You are preparing for the profession of arms. This is not just a job. This is a profession that requires that you, that you devote full time and effort your very life even to becoming an expert in. Now you're not going to become an expert while you are in Air Force ROTC. And I will explain that point a little bit later on as well. But this preparation for the profession of arms cannot be taken lightly. So what does this look like? This means that when it's time for you to participate in leadership lab, you are there on time. You are there even early. You know ahead of time what the plan is. You've gone to some length to find out what the type of training is going to be, whether it's going to be a field activity where we're something super fun, where we break out the paintball guns and shoot each other, whether it's a sit down discussion about various leadership principles, case studies, if we have a guest speaker, do some, some preparation ahead of time so you can be smart and prepared and get as much as you can out of that leadership lab. Be present in the moment. Put away your phone, put away your other distractions and be engaged for that time that you are there. The same is true for your, your aerospace studies class, your lecture class with your cadre member. Do the reading. It's not a lot. You know, we don't ask very much of you but be prepared to learn and participate fully in that time that you have available in the more intimate setting with that cadre member, with that instructor. Make sure you are asking useful questions. Don't just show up and, and turn your brain off because you think that all that's required is attendance. That's not how this works. Yes, you can get through Air Force ROTC just by showing up and making sure that you, you meet that 80% attendance so that you don't fail. But what are you going to get out of it? Take your, your training seriously. Don't take it lightly. Get as much of, out of it as you can. So again, academics must come first. You can't get a degree in aerospace studies. You can't get a degree in, in ROTC. But your practical military training must come second. Then everything else must come third. This includes your work. And I know that for a lot of you, you have to work in order to pay for school. I understand that. 
This includes any extracurricular activities. Now, I know a lot of you that are listening out there that are interested in joining or that are currently participating in ROTC, you enjoy things like student government. You enjoy your internships. You enjoy serving in the community. All of these are wonderful things, but they're extracurricular and they are peripheral, albeit supportive of your eventual goal of being an officer, but they are peripheral. They are not the thing itself. And also anything that is sponsored by Air Force ROTC itself, but that is not mandatory, it falls into this category. At my program, in my detachment, this is the Honor Guard. This is our Special Tactics Squadron. This is Arnold Air Society. These are our other things that cadets can get involved with, but that are not mandatory. They will certainly help the, the growth and development of those that can participate in it, those who choose to do it, but they're not mandatory. And so they, they fall lower down on the list of priorities. Now, the overarching principle here is that life is full of good things, but we must become expert in pursuing the better and the best things in order to be truly successful. As a current or a future officer in the Air Force, you need to know the difference between the things that are good and the things that are better or the things that are best. So Colin, I've come up with a couple of ways I've found to help me figure out these priorities that I've used over the years. What are some of your favorite techniques or tools that you've used to help you manage your time to get after these goals and these priorities you've established? Yeah, well, one of my favorites is is one that's pretty common. It's the the Eisenhower square or the Eisenhower matrix where you've got the two axes, the one having important on that axis, the other having urgent. And through that, you are able to get an idea of the things that matter most. If something is important and urgent, you know you that is your number one. You have to do that now. Anything that is important but not urgent, that is a number two. That is that is a number two priority. It's light, lower down. It's still important. It's also something you can plan to. If it's, if it's not immediate, urgent, got to get done right now, you can plan a way to get those things done. Right. And then if something is not important but is urgent, and let me distinguish something here. The important is that it's important for you to do. Everything is important to somebody, right? Yeah, absolutely. But is that particular thing important for you? Is it important that you do it? If it's not, then it's not important to you, but it's important to somebody else and it's urgent, then it's a number one for somebody else. Delegate that task to that person, right? So that helps you to organize the things that are important and urgent, things that are important and not urgent, or the things that are urgent but not important. And then the last thing is if there is something that is on your plate that is not important and not urgent, eliminate it, get rid of it. It's not important. It's not urgent. It shouldn't be something that is capturing your attention. I think having that honest conversation with yourself sometimes and cutting things out can be real challenging. I've also used the Eisenhower square and I really like it, but sometimes those truth moments where you sit down and realize maybe I shouldn't watch 17 YouTube videos about car repair in a row. Maybe I should do something a little bit more productive with my time. Yeah. Another one that I haven't used, but I've heard a lot about is the getting things done or GTD by David Allen. I've heard some really good things about his method. I would like to try it sometime. I just haven't chosen to do it. It hasn't been a priority. Yeah. Well, and, and all that is to say, right, just because this technique works for you and me doesn't mean it works for everybody. But the, I think the thing that is interesting is both of us have found and developed and used some sort of technique or tool to manage our time that shows you the importance of it. When we were talking about my OTS tips, that was absolutely something uh, that we talked about, right, is appropriate time management. Yeah. And that is one of the beautiful things about our commissioning sources is that it really does teach you time management and priorities 
because you won't succeed through this program. I mean, you, you can get by, you can get through, but you really won't succeed without learning to really manage your time and your priorities. So let me state those again. Let me sum it up. Academics must come first. That must be your number one priority while you're going through this program. Your mandatory PMT, practical military training, that's leadership lab, your, your aerospace studies class, and PT, those things must come second. And then everything else must come third. Now, of course, this all assumes you have priority zero in place, which is that you are right with yourself, that you have good mental health practices, you practice self-care, that you are in a good place with yourself, that you are in a good place with your family, that you're spending your quality time with the people you care about, that you have those positive relationships. And then if you are religious, make sure that you are right with your God. Because if any of those things are off, none of it really matters. And I like that the Air Force is uh, catching up with this, that it is becoming much more prevalent as we more fully implement the comprehensive airman fitness model or CAF model, making sure that we are taking care of the various aspects of our, our people, making sure that they have a good balance of spirituality, that they're taking care of themselves physically, socially, mentally, that these four pillars of their spiritual, physical, social, and mental life are in balance and integrated with each other so that they are in a good place and are then able to function properly, not just in Air Force ROTC in managing these priorities, but operationally once they're in the Air Force, taking care of the mission. Great rundown, Colin. One of the things that I found, you know, as we talked about hints, tips, and tricks about OTS, the thing that most often led to failure, a student's inability to complete the program was ego or pride and inability to accept training and inability to recognize their own shortfalls and weaknesses, which led to a cascade of failures and then ultimately not completing What's the most common trait, characteristic, behavior, belief that you see in ROTC that leads to a student unable to finish and accomplish the program? Yeah, I think that pride is a really important one that you need to take your training seriously. You need to be humble enough that you can be teachable, that you're willing to learn. But I wouldn't say that that is the, the primary thing that causes people to fail out, to, to actually leave. I think that is the number one cause of keeping people from being truly successful to, from, you know, pride is the thing that will keep them from getting the most out of their training. But the thing that will actually cause them to fail out of the program is a failure to prioritize and manage their time and obligations. Yeah. And that, that's an interesting contrast, right? I've got them as an OTS instructor. They're literally sleeping on campus where I basically own them for eight weeks and they, in ROTC, it seems like they've got a whole lot more life to live while you're going through their training. Yeah. And actually that brings me to my second point. Great segue, Reed. Well done. <laughs> is that Air Force ROTC is not enough because so many of the cadets that come into our program are young and inexperienced. They need to get out and do more than just ROTC. ROTC is five to seven hours out of your week. That is not very much. That's not even like a part-time job. I mean, as you move up in the program, there are some positions, you know, like if you're a cadet wing commander or a cadet group commander, that will take more time. But the vast majority of the positions are not going to take 20 hours a week. And so you need to do more in order to gain the experience necessary for you to be truly valuable and useful to the Air Force and to the airmen that you are going to lead. It's not just school. School is important, obviously. That was priority number one. But you need to find ways to broaden your horizons. You need to get involved with your community, whatever your community is. If that's 
like the actual local community, if you want to get in, involved in local government or various after school programs, boys and girls clubs or Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts or anything like that, that's great. But find a community, a group of people that you identify with and start serving them, right? You should travel. You should get away from your comfort zone, you know, the, the place where you grew up or the place where you are uh, currently living and feel comfortable in. You should go see the world and get a much broader and deeper understanding of what's going on out there and how you fit into it, how the Air Force fits into it, how the United States fits into it. I can't emphasize enough how important it is for you to spend some time out there in the world. That was one of the best things that I did while I was in, in Air Force RTC, while I was at the university is I joined a dance group that toured internationally every year. So while I was in Air Force ROTC, while I was in college, I also was on this dance team that took me to Eastern Europe. While a student, while a cadet, I went to Hungary, Slovakia, Czech Republic, Poland, Belarus. I went to a communist country and I saw with my own eyes, I experienced with my own body what it was like to be in that type of place. I went to Ukraine. I went to China. I went to Hong Kong. I went to Turkey and Greece. I went to all of these different places while I was in school. And that helped me gain a much better appreciation for how I fit as an officer in the Air Force, what my role is, and how the Air Force and the United States can contribute and fit within the world. So I can't emphasize enough the importance of travel. You should do internships. You should seek out opportunities for you to gain practical skills within an industry, whatever the industry is that you might be interested in that is related to your academic major. And you should do all of these things so that you can gain experience. You should go out there so that you can fail. You can go out there and succeed. You should socialize with people. You should date. You should fall in love with someone. You should find people that you loathe. <laughs> you should rebel against things that you don't agree with. You should conform with some things that you do. You should learn to suffer. You should learn to celebrate. You should have moments where you cry or shout for joy. Through it all, you should learn to serve and you should learn to lead. All of these things will give you experience and will develop your emotional intelligence, the empathy and the ability to connect with people because ultimately that is what being an officer is all about, is connecting with people so that you can lead them to a place they didn't know they could go. What's the average age of your uh, cadets? Uh, probably 19 or 20. The demographic at Brigham Young University is a little bit older, but across Air Force ROTC, the, the average age is going to be around 18, 19, 20. Very different demographic than I had at officer training school. Average age was closer to 30. And so it's interesting that you're seeing some of those things. Uh, universally, I would say most of my students had already had these types of growing learning experiences. And in some ways, many of my students were better prepared for life than their instructors. And they had been through a lot more. So real, real interesting contrast between, between the programs. Yeah, definitely a big difference between the type of lieutenant that comes out of ROTC and the type of lieutenant that comes out of OTS. One is not better than the other, but very different. Yeah, and I think we need that diversity. But that just emphasizes the point that, again, Air Force ROTC is not enough. You must be doing more in order to get those life experiences that will help you to be successful in the Air Force. So on that note, you are preparing for a lifestyle, not just a job. This is not a, a nine to five, wake up, go to work, make some widgets, come home and, and you forget about it. Being an officer is 
a 24 seven, 365 gig everywhere you go, everything you do, everyone you interact with, you are doing it as an officer, whether you are in or out of uniform. And so you need to understand that the things that you do within air force ROTC are insufficient to help you develop that lifestyle. You need to do more. The, the physical training program in ROTC is a great example. The program by AFI, by AFI 36, 2011 cadet operations stipulates that cadets must participate in a minimum of two PT sessions or physical training sessions per week, but no more than three. And so if those PT sessions are an hour long, the guidance is, is that you cannot do more than three hours of physical training per week. That's not enough, especially because, <laughs> especially because you are not getting a full hour. There's so much kadorkery that's going on during that PT session, trying to get people formed up into flights, getting accountability, taking attendance, making announcements, all of these things that are happening within that hour that you end up getting somewhere around 30 to 40 minutes of actual physical training of actual exercise. But at the same time, the 30 and 40 minutes of exercise that you are getting is not useful. You are not being taught how to do it correctly. Air Force ROTC does not bring in people to teach you how to do things correctly, how to run correctly, what, what's good running technique, or how to strategize a run, how to lift weights correctly, how to swim, how to program a HIT workout or anything like that. None of that is provided for you. Instead, you are handed an AFI, AFI 36-2905, the fitness program, as a cadet, and you're told, make something up. And usually what happens is that the fastest cadet, the one who can run a, 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 a sub eight mile and a half, you know, ge a genetic freak who just is super fast by accident, they're the one that is, is put in, in charge of this and they have no idea what they're doing. And so if they have no idea what they're doing, that means that you have no idea what you're doing and you're not going to get anything valuable out of the PT program, which means that you have to take ownership of your physical fitness. You have to develop on your own a lifestyle of fitness and health, which is absolutely critical to you being successful in the Air Force. It is absolutely necessary for you to be able to accomplish the operational mission for you to be an example to your airmen and help them develop a lifestyle of fitness and health. Another example of where Air Force ROTC is not enough is in the area of professional reading. Our cadets are not required to do hardly any reading. They do hardly any reading at all. In preparation for their classes, they are given, you know, in some instances, one page of bullet points that tells them this is what the class is going to be about. They are not required to read anything from the chief of staff's reading list. We don't read anything from those who were the progenitors of, of air power, you know, William Duhay or John Boyd or Curtis LeMay. We don't read anything by these guys, but it's still really important. If you want to be successful as, as an officer, if you want to contribute fully to the mission of the Air Force, you need to read. You need to develop that professional knowledge of your craft, of the profession of arms. And that's not going to happen within Air Force ROTC. In addition to the professional reading, you need to read other stuff, other things that are that you are interested in that are going to be supportive and peripheral uh, to your officership, like physical fitness, like financial management, like a foreign language or international relations and politics. These things are critical to you being successful as an officer in the Air Force, but we don't teach it in ROTC. Colin, this sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot of work. And that goes back to my first point is that you need to learn how to prioritize your time. 
you need to prioritize the things that matter most. And you need to be able to distinguish between the things that are good and the things that are better and best. I think it also says a lot about the destination. Something I've found in life is that there's no shortcut to any place worth going. That anything that is worthy or hard to achieve is going to require some sacrifice of the people that are trying to get there. Because otherwise anybody can get there and it's not of real value because you just showed up. Uh, that was absolutely my experience with my students at officer training school. It sounds like ROTC is no different. It's going to, it's going to cost something from you uh, to achieve this. And that's one of the things that makes it valuable. It reminds me of that quote. Some gave all, but all gave some. Usually that's in reference to you know, World War II and how everybody was a casualty in some form. But even in a non-combat situation, every officer in the Air Force will make some sort of sacrifice to be here. And it should be like that. Because once again, this is not just a job. This is a profession of arms. And people that are interested in this career, in this lifestyle, need to understand that. One more way that Air Force ROTC is not enough is the sacred cow of field training. Why do you say sacred cow? Because it is made out to be this end-all be-all of the ROTC experience and that you can't mess with it. Which is so not true. And one of these days, we will have an episode on everything that is good and everything that is terrible about ROTC field training. But what I want to say about it right now is that field training is not hard. It may seem like it's hard. It may be explained and sold to you as something that is hard. But the honest truth is that the anticipation of field training is much, much worse than field training itself. Yes, there are some hard things about field training, but field training itself across the time that you are there, whatever its form is, whatever length that it is, it's not hard. So here are some of the things about it. In its current format, it's 14 days. That may change may not, but even so, regardless of how long it is, it will not be long enough for you to get worthwhile feedback from the cadre and to have you apply it and learn from it and then find out if, you, if you've actually changed, if you've learned something. They say that field training is a transformative experience, but it's just not long enough for you to truly test your mettle and find out if you're somebody new. So if that transformation is not going to happen at field training, and if it can't happen at the detachment because we, the cadre, and your cadet leadership can't, quote, maltrain you, then where is that going to happen? Where is it that you are going to be tested hard enough to find out if you can stand up to the rigors of combat and the stresses of the profession of arms? So if, if it's not going to happen there, you need to go find someplace for that to happen. You need to seek out hardship. You need to voluntarily put yourself in a position where you are tested and tried, where you think you are going to fail, but you don't, and you succeed instead. Can I have a, a little tip about what to call field training when you get to the Air Force? Don't call it basic training. I found the same thing about OTS. I think it's understandable, right? A young officer is trying to explain or discuss their training experience, their initial training experience that led them to where they are. And when 85% of your force is enlisted and went to basic training, it's understandable that you would want to call it basic training. The enlisted troops I've had the pleasure of serving with will quickly instruct you that whatever thing you went to that you call basic, don't denigrate basic training by calling your experience basic training. So just a hinted tip to all you young officers out there. Don't call your training experience basic. Please. <laughs> and if you have questions about that, 
find some senior NCO and ask them why. They'll let you know. Or or go look at videos on the YouTube. I mean, <laughs> it's not that hard to to find out what basic training is like and how it is not field training. But yeah, do yourself a favor. Don't tell your young airmen that you also went to basic training unless you did, right? I, I had a number of those cadets that were prior enlisted and they did go to basic training and then they went to OTS and they're different things. And that's a good point that those who are prior enlisted that come into OTS or into ROTC in this for this discussion here and then go to field training, don't expect that it's going to be the same thing because it's not. It is very different. It is very different and it's different by design. And also don't expect that it's going to be hard because it's not. Okay, moving on to my third and final point is that Air Force ROTC is not the Air Force. There are some very major differences here that need to be understood. First of all, that very little of what you do in Air Force ROTC is going to look like what you'll actually be doing for the Air Force. You and your airmen, for example, are not going to be marching around. You're not going to do open ranks inspections. In some instances, you're not even going to do organized PT. However, the principles of the things that are learned from some of those different training modalities remain. Let's take marching, for example. Marching is very effective in showing what leadership and followership should look like. It makes leadership and followership visible to the eye. When a flight is marching around correctly, or when a, even better, when a squadron is marching around correctly, everyone can tell that the leader knows what's going on. On the flip side, if they are not doing it correctly, everybody knows that the leader is wrong instantly just by watching. They don't have to know anything about that individual, but they can tell they don't know what, what's going on or they don't know how to correctly lead the flight. Same for the people that are in the formation. You know immediately if they know what they're doing or not. Absolutely. Every person that is involved in the marching of the flight from the leader to the element leaders all the way through every rank and echelon to the back of the flight and the deputy flight commander. Everybody plays a role. And if they are not doing their job correctly, we can see it immediately. That is one of the wonderful things about marching is that it gives you that immediate feedback on who is doing their job well, who is doing their job correctly. That helps you to learn the principle of knowing where it is that you fit within your organization. You're going to get into the Air Force. You're going to be assigned to a flight or a detachment or some sort of unit. And you need to figure out where it is that you fit so that you can contribute fully to the mission that's there, whether you are in charge or whether you are a follower. You have a role to play and you need to do it correctly. And if you don't do it correctly, everybody's going to know. It behooves you to do it correctly. Yeah. And you might end up in the bushes, which is not the mission objective. Right. Let, ask me how I know. <laughs> Reed, how do you know? How did you end up in the bushes? Well, so because the person marching our flight didn't do it well, I ended up as the guide on bear, which is a guide on for those who don't know, is essentially a large staff that you attach your flight flag to your colors. And as I've been marched into the bushes so many times, I would carry this staff, you know, kind of sideways, like I was out hunting bear or something. And uh, my call sign at OTS became bear grills. Cause I was always being traipsed through the bushes, carrying my staff and not my fault, but I was following the poor guidance I got from my leader. That's right. If you give poor guidance, your people will end up in the wrong place. If you take poor guidance without helping your leader clarify and give proper direction, you too are failing. You are failing your leader. So that's one of the things that I love about marching is that it makes effective leadership and followership visible. 
Another thing that is visible in marching is if somebody is missing. If there is a hole in the flight, everybody knows it. The principle there is you need to pay attention to when people are missing in your unit, either physically missing, they're not present, they're a wall, or if they're just not contributing, if they are not participating fully in the mission, if they are just a warm body filling a chair, you as a leader or you as a follower within that unit need to do something. You need to call out the fact that somebody is missing and do something. Find them. Bring them back into the unit. Give them something to do so that they can be an effective member of the unit. Another thing about marching that I like, another principle that is important here, is that the leader has to think ahead. They have to plan a safe route so that Bear Grylls doesn't get marched into the bushes. And please, please don't march me into the bushes anymore. The leadership principle here is that you have a mission to accomplish. You need to get from point A to point B safely and effectively. And that takes some thinking. That takes some planning. That means that you have to understand what the route looks like from A to B. You need to contemplate what's going to happen in between A and B. Are there going to be turns in the road? Are there going to be stop signs, road crossings? Are there going to be things that you need to prepare for and have all the equipment training and organization for so that you can be successful in getting from A to B? So the bottom line here is that there are many things that you do in ROTC, such as marching, that you will never do on active duty, but the principles ring true. And so as you go through your ROTC training experience, you need to look for those principles. You need to pay attention to them so that you can use them when you get onto active duty and participating in the operational mission. And then once you get there, once you are out there in the Air Force, you're going to find out that the people that are in the Air Force are not anything like your fellow cadets back at the detachment in the university. Universities tend to be pretty homogenous. They tend to attract a fairly similar demographic, depending on region or what that type of university is. Even more than that, Air Force ROTC tends to attract young, white, male, middle-class, conservative Protestants. There is some diversity within ROTC, but it's not very much. We're trying to do more for that. The Gold Bar Recruiter Program is making some headway there. But the fact remains that the cadets that you associate with within your program and that go through training with you and help to develop you are going to look, talk, act very different from the people that you will eventually have to lead in the Air Force. By and large, those that you come in contact with, those that you lead, in the Air Force are going to be older, wiser, have a whole lot more training, a whole lot more job knowledge and operational experience than you. Some may even have more college degrees than you. Even the airmen, even the NCOs and senior NCOs, even though they're not officers, they may already have their bachelor's degree or master's degree, or in some instances, they may have a PhD and you need to respect that. And you need to understand that all of these people likely come from a very different place and a very different background from you. The likelihood is that you may have never met anybody like these people in your entire life, and yet your job will be to lead them. So those are some of the things that, that are on my mind about Air Force ROTC, some tips and tricks, some ideas on how you can be more successful as a cadet if you are going through this program, or if you're listening to this podcast, this episode, and you are an instructor for Air Force ROTC, maybe these are some things that you can share with your potential cadets as they come in to meet with you or with the cadets already in the program. I hope this information has been useful. Yeah, super great rundown. Really appreciate it, Colin. Uh, something that I definitely noted as we went through you know, compare and contrast the differences between the programs, between officer training school and ROTC, a lot of similarities, a lot of differences. 
Um, but the core principles, what we're trying to get after, what we're trying to develop, they're exactly the same. Just depends on the audience that the training program is uh, trying to focus on and what kind of student they're, they're getting different, but same all at the same time. So I hope this information has been useful to you. I hope you learned something. I hope you've taken something away that you can uh, share with a friend or a family member, someone who is going through the program through Air Force ROTC or, or even OTS, or who has already passed through it. The principles remain true, uh, even on active duty or in the, the reserves of the guard. If you have any questions or if you want to share your experience going through ROTC, the things that ring true for you, share your tips and your tricks, you can send that information to Air Force Officer Podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us through our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Air Force Officer Podcast. There you can participate in our discussion room. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Again, if you have any questions about going to OTS or RTC, we encourage you to get in touch with an officer recruiter for OTS or a recruiting officer at your local Air Force RTC detachment at the university. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Commission Ed. Thank you for listening to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. The views and opinions of the authors expressed herein do not state or reflect those of the U.S. government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. Mention of any specific commercial products, process, or service by trade name, trademark, manufacturer, or otherwise does not necessarily constitute nor imply its endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion and should not be implied as endorsement. Thank you.